Welcome back for a very special episode of That's Ancient History. Now that's for two reasons, the first of all being that this is the final episode of season one. Yes, I'm sorry to share it with you this way, but this is our ninth and final episode of the first season, but don't worry too much because the second season will be back in only six short weeks. It's a small break just um, in order for me to catch up on some things, pre-record some episodes and organise some exciting content for you in the future. So thank you for sticking with me. I'm so, so pleased with your response to the first season and I'm super excited to get on with the second season very soon. But until then, I have a very special final episode for you, which is actually a two-parter. And this is part two. However, you can listen to both parts in whatever order you so choose, as they are both full of their own wonderful discussions and um, just make a beautiful pair together. This two-parter podcast comes to you in collaboration with the Reading Women podcast. The Reading Women is one of my absolute favourite podcasts, and I would highly recommend that you all go and check it out. It is run by Kendra and Autumn who are my guests on today's podcast and they discuss what the title might suggest which is uh, books written by women over on their podcast on a regular basis with awesome interviews with female authors as well. So we decided to get together and talk all about women, classics, literature and mythology. In part one, which is already available over on their podcast, we talked about the relevance to antiquity and classical literature, to modern literature, as well as myth retellings, uh, particularly myth retellings dealing with uh, female characters in mythology and feminist themes. And it was such a fascinating discussion. I love chatting with Autumn and Kendra and equally enjoyed nerding out with them on this episode where we focus on the portrayal of women in ancient Greek and Roman mythology as well as how ancient literature has been translated, looking at translations like that of Emily Wilson, which is the first English published translation of the Odyssey by a woman, and what difference that makes, and the experience of women in classics. Before we start though, I do want to make sure you're aware that we do discuss sexual assault on numerous occasions in this episode as we discuss myths involving sexual assault as well as my own PhD thesis which is focused on sexual assault. So just so you're aware of that before we get started. But otherwise, I do hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for sticking around for the first season. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at That's Ancient to keep up to date and I will be back in six weeks time. Thanks so much for joining me today, both of you. I'm really excited to have you both on the podcast. I'm a big fan of the Reading Women, um, and I just can't wait to talk to you more about antiquity. Yeah, cool. we're excited to be here. We've already had like a good, good half an hour chat over on the Reading Women about mythology, so we are well <laughs> pumped for the antiquity oh, chat. Yes, and women specifically. Yeah. Yes, we are primed to nerd out for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I like to hear like our continuous state <laughs> yeah just like I exist in a permanent state of enthusiasm over women, books and classics yeah. <laughs> yes I endorse this wholeheartedly um, so I oh, everyone knows why I love myths and classics <laughs> in my journey through through the world of antiquity by now. Um, but I would I would be really interested to hear a little bit about both of your sort of like exposure and experience with mythology and perhaps like what your existing perceptions are about women's roles in classical myth, if you have any. 
Well, I think, Kendra, you should start since you're the reason for my interest. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So my mom started teaching us history and she started from the cradle of life. And so we went through all of the mythology and she and it was kind of based on people because it was for elementary kids, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so it was just more telling stories about people and it was formatted, formatted almost like in um, a short story kind of format. And so we went through like Egypt and Greece and Rome. Um, we did also Mesopotamia, obviously it'll be earlier. Uh, and then that really caught. And I really love those stories. And then obviously Percy Jackson came on the scene when I was in high school and I listened to all of the, I still, I'm caught up on everything so far with his as well. <laughs> um, but I really struck a love. And then when I got into college, I was all over all of these myths. And um, I remember I watched Antigone uh, as a play and there was all their other Greek plays as well. But yeah, I just really loved it. And I really connected with the struggle. I feel like Athena, especially for me, she's always like the masculine goddess and she's mm. really into knowledge and she's very cunning and weaving and all of these different things. And I just really love her. Um, and I love owls because of her. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Like, I'm like, now can I bring up all the myths in which Athena did horrible things? <laughs> she's, I, I'm the, I don't want to replicate her lifestyle. <laughs> I just admired her as this one of the types of women out of all the goddesses that I admired and that's problematic as well I will admit because the other ones that were like well they're getting attacked by men so then my I have more of a fledgling interest in myth and mythology unlike Kendra I didn't have any exposure to the classics really as a kid except for like what I saw on public television which was very little and um, not very accurate but then as I started studying literature and um, started learning more about or, or reading novels and finding out that these novels were inspired by Greek myths and as I started reading Shakespeare and I did have like an intro to literature class or something where we did read some myths um, we read Oedipus in particular and some others I think I can't remember the ones um that's kind of where my interest started and so it's kind of been building over time and then as Kendra and I have been friends and she's you know obviously a super nerd about this kind of stuff like (laughs) she introduced me more to like Percy Jackson and some other more books that were I hadn't hadn't really been on my radar before and like so it's like for me it's like more of a building thing and I mentioned in the other episode about reading Frankenstein and like it's those kinds of things where I can trace back the history that's really making me interested in these myths and wanting to learn more about them and the stories that come from them so yeah I'm, I'm still me. definitely learning so <laughs> well we all are though there's still so much I don't know like <laughs> just it's, it's never ending but right <laughs> yeah makes my little learning heart happy that I will never finish reading about Greek mythology because there's always so much more material you could read. Yes. So someone asked me the other day, like, how many books you have in your library that are unread and does that overwhelm you? And I'm like, no, I revel in it. (laughs) It's like living in a library. What's not exciting about that? (laughs) 
We can all tell, like, our favorite Disney princess was probably Belle at this point. <laughs> exactly. Dream man. Dude at the library. <laughs> um, well, Kendra and Autumn um, are, like, the most organized people I have ever recorded a podcast with. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mentioned to a friend of mine that I was recording a podcast with recently that I'd made notes and she looked horrified. Um, and I know you guys have like um, made a few notes of things that you're interested in in terms of like women and myth um, that like you sent to me to have a look at and I had wondered perhaps which of those you would like to tackle. Well when I heard that you were doing your PhD on sexual violence in Greek Mm -hmm. culture at a certain time and place that I can't remember. Fourth century Athens. Athens. Okay. Oh, it was Athens. Okay. I was like, <laughs> I think it's Athens, but it might just be because that's the one I remember the most. Yeah. Oh. That's the one that's the I'm doing it is because it's the one that we all like know the most about. <laughs> well, so when I heard about that, it, it made sense to me because when I was reading Ovid's Metamorphosis, I was really appalled because every myth is just like women being sexually assaulted left and right. And there's even one when, you know, when even when they're turned into different things, they don't necessarily escape either. No. And so I wondered, what have you discovered while reading that? Why was there this obsession of telling myths like that? And what does that say about the Greek culture at the time? Well, well, the thing about Ovid is Ovid was a Roman and he was uh, sort of collecting together all these myths that involved the characters changing into something else. That was the metamorphosis element. And they are full of myths of sexual assault like there are so many myths of sexual assault and like not to excuse of it but he didn't make them up <laughs> they had existed for a long long time um this was like not his idea he was just compiling them in one place and um although i'm studying sort of contemporary to the fourth century athenian uh society i'm using mythology to sort of inform my study um and sort of the way uh, sexual assault myths appear in 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 documents of the time um, and how they're used and how they're perceived. Um, I wish I could give you like a straight, clear answer on why Greek myth is littered with sexual assault, because that that would be me having written the PhD. <laughs> that would have solved a massive problem for everybody. <laughs> um, but it is. It's disturbingly prevalent everywhere. Um, I think like within any culture sexual assault always comes down to power and it's the same in greek mythology it's sort of like an expression of of power Mm. um what i find really interesting isn't quite that it's so prevalent it's like how differently people can react to it it's sort of like you get myths where the victim is blamed you get myths where the victim takes vengeance and is appraised the victim takes vengeance and is chastised you get myths where um she's like thrown out of her home for having been sexually assaulted or she's protected from being sexually assaulted like there's not like one consistent reaction to the the woman or the man in the situation which i find really interesting and it sort of seems to change depending on the situation the myth's being told in so like what city you're in what century you're in what context it is they they like manipulate these myths to say something um, but yeah, the Ovid's Metamorphosis, all the ones in there are particularly depressing because, like you mentioned, um, a lot of the time, the story doesn't, like with Daphne and Apollo, Daphne escapes being sexually assaulted by Apollo, but the only way to do that is to turn into a tree and spend the rest of eternity as a tree. And I think, like, it's difficult to, to find 
what is ancient thought and what is modern thought but actually I think you can sort of like extrapolate something from that to reflect on like current society and kind of just like kind of our treatment of women and do you think of the ones as well where like the god turns into something before sexually assaulting somebody Mm. those are the other common ones where like a greek god turns into like a bird and then sexually assaults someone which again uh, I have a friend that's just finishing their PhD and a chapter of its own bestiality in mythology, which um, so I am yeah, really looking forward to reading because I think <laughs> it's going to be really interesting because it is super prevalent. Um, one of the most, I just, I'm just getting more and more depressing, but the most, the, the myth that depresses me the most when it comes to metamorphosis and sexual assault in Ovid is um, Medusa. So, yeah. So this is a, uh, well known for being this gorgon with the snake hair mm-hmm. and she turns men to stone when she looks at them or people to stone when she looks at them but before Medea was a gorgon in mythology she was actually a mortal woman just an incredibly beautiful mortal woman and one day she's sort of like admiring her reflection in some some water in a river and the the water god Poseidon sees her and assaults her sexually um in the temple of Athena which is next to next to his body of water and Athena is so angry that her temple has been desecrated she wants some sort of vengeance but she can't punish another god so she punishes punishes Medea for having been sexually assaulted in her temple by turning her into a gorgon which is uh one of the cases where Medea isn't uh where Athena isn't quite as likable. <laughs> I think that is one reason why it's been difficult for me to get into a lot of myths is just because of the way that women are portrayed. It's really, it's really terrible to read a lot of what happens to these women. And you're right though, like it's not consistent either, which makes it even harder to kind of parse out like what's going on in these stories. Yeah, you don't know like what always what the intention of the writer was which can make you a little bit uncomfortable because you're not sure where they're coming from on their stance on this um I think one of the things I've been thinking about recently actually because I'm reading Silence of the Girls by Pat Barker which is all about the Trojan women like the women that were dished out as slaves um when Troy was sort of falling against the Greeks and it starts with Bryces and Achilles I mean, kind of how Bryces is given to Achilles as like a slave and he like has sex with her. He becomes she becomes his concubine, but she doesn't have any choice in it. Um, Mm. And it made me think back to the film Troy. Have you seen the film Troy? Yes. It's like Achilles and Bryces have this like really romanticized relationship. And I think like that's really interesting the way we sort of romanticize that relationship in like a film like Troy, where it's like. Uh, Brad Pitt and this other this other actor and they have this wonderful romantic relationship where in the myth it's actually like a woman who has no choice in what's happening to her and I really like that Pat Barker is exploring that side of it and that's why mm-hmm. I really like modern retellings because they can sort of give a perspective that isn't always given in the original text. Are there any examples in any of the myths though where women aren't portrayed as stereotypically or as like terrible, horrible people or victims or any of the ways we've been talking about? Well, one of the things that I talk about in my thesis is a myth about two sisters called Procne and Philomela. And although their story is tragic in lots of circumstances in that Procne's husband, Terius, sexually assaults her sister, Philomela and cuts out her tongue, and it's one of the stories that inspired uh, Titus Andronicus by Shakespeare. And I, mm. um, I, I think I talk about this 
way too much and I apologize to everybody that listens to this podcast but it's because it's like what I've been writing about for the past year <laughs> so it's constantly on my mind um but so he cuts out her tongue she and her sister then kill Itis who is Procne and Terius's son to punish the father and feed Itis to their father and then when he finds out what they've done he like chases them and the gods turn them all into birds but right really tragic and in some versions it's like oh my goodness, Procne did this awful thing, she killed her own son, what a terrible human being. But what I'm looking at in my thesis is um, this one example of this writer who brings this up, who brings up this myth, and he goes, how brave were Procne and Philomela to have taken vengeance when Terius committed this act of hubris against them that was obviously terrible, and he did a terrible thing, and they were very brave to take vengeance, and I thought that's such an interesting perspective. And he, like, holds them up as these wonderful role models of, like, Athenian ideologies and how, like, sexual assault is bad and how, like, women don't deserve that and how women should be protected against that and how men should defend them against that. And I just, it's, like, one of my favourite passages because I just think it takes a myth that's often portrayed really differently and kind of makes them the heroes, which I liked. Yeah. Um, I remember your podcast episode on that as well. And I really love... I guess the different look at mythology and I remember reading these stories and whenever like the God transformed into an animal and sexually assaulted a woman, it never really like, it just didn't appall me as much for whatever reason. But then Mm. I read the magic toy shop by Angela Carter Mm. and I, there's this play where they're kind of reacting and there's like this fake swan and it's like a taxis girl. It's really creepy. I mean, it's Angela Carter, but yeah, (laughs) it's really creepy and it just really clicked for me. Like, oh, this is really horrendous in some strange new way. And I appreciate how we've talked about in the modern, in the previous part of this uh, dual podcast that we were doing, we talked about how contemporary retellings are, are make it more rel- like accessible to people mm-hmm. today. And I think that's another thing is just reminding us actually how horrible this is, because I think sometimes we've become desensitized. Absolutely. Because it's yeah. over and over. Yeah, it's sort of like it seems so surreal that you can't immediately relate to the horror of it. But that's yeah. such a good point. Like, well done, Angela Carter, for <laughs> remind, like, reminding us of that. Um, actually, you made me think there's this, there is this scholar from like the 90s called Mary Lefkowitz who wrote about Greek mythology and women. And at one point she writes a little bit about sexual assault and she makes a statement that I completely disagree with. And there are other scholars that disagree with it too, so it's, I'm not saying that this is correct in any way, um, but it kind of goes to show kind of the way almost scholars try to make this acceptable in mythology. They try to sort of tone it down so that it's less horrible to read about and to sort of make the Greeks seem nicer people. Like, oh no, they didn't have myths about rape. And she says that it's not rape because, like, there's no rape in Greek mythology because actually women who were sort of like sexually assaulted, although she's saying they're not sexually assaulted by gods then had all these benefits of being the mother of children that were the children of gods. So, like, actually, it's never actually sexual assault. It's like sometimes at first they're a little bit reluctant, but they always, like, give in at the end. And it's like, that's not really true. Mm. But she's obviously can't quite... I think, like, as a scholar, she couldn't quite compute the idea of, like, the ancient Greeks having so much mythology about sexual assault that she had to excuse it in Mm. some way. And what about Hera? Like, she goes and wreaks havoc on all, like, Zeus's. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Like, how, 
if you possess this child, like, Hera is not going to like you, and she's not an enemy you want to have. No. She's horrible. That also, like, makes me think about, like, how horrible do they think married women were? Like, seriously. And one of the most frightening goddesses is the married one that represents marriage and, like, monogamy. The wife. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's frightening. That actually brings us to another part a question that we had for you which was obviously we talked about athena and her questionable um choices we'll just say (laughs) um so what one of the questions i've always had is what is with athena i know she's one of like what the three virgin goddesses but she seems to be the most masculine quote-unquote goddess in that she's a goddess of war and like strategy but she seems devoid of sexuality and feminine emotions it's almost like to be these things like as in like strategy and war you can't be a sexual woman it's almost like how they would remove victorian women's sexual Mm -hmm. sexuality from them to make them this weak whatever and they were supposed to be almost like asexuals like the the crimson petal and the white how they had the two women and how they had the woman of the night and then the wife who wasn't supposed to really know anything about sex and i feel like they've done that to athena in a sense to be more masculine as a woman you can't also be a sexual being yeah i think that's a really good point actually like a really good observation um like this idea that perhaps she couldn't possibly be both of those things um but one of the things i always think is worth pointing out with athena um is that like the simplest way i i try to understand athena is that she's not really a woman like she is a goddess and a female goddess but she's not a woman so she isn't upheld to the same standards that actual mortal women would have been um in in greek in the greek world like she existed before women existed and the first woman in mythology is pandora and she actually helps build pandora um and create pandora but before pandora ever existed she existed yet pandora is described as the first woman so in a way athena isn't really a woman so she doesn't have to be confined so much by the same things that women need to be confined by and in a way one of the dangerous things about Pandora now that you you bring it up you make me think is her sexuality and her like ability to conceive children and uh, sort of tempt men with her sexuality so it's quite interesting that that's something that then sort of with her becomes like a danger about women um but yeah I sort of have to kind of remind myself that like in a way Athena isn't a woman she's but in the same way that like Greek men, so like an ordinary Greek man in fourth century Athens, wouldn't people wouldn't have expected him to do the same things that the male gods did either. Like mortals weren't supposed to behave like gods. Gods got away with things that mortals could never do, regardless of their their gender. Hmm. I don't know if that helps like make it all that make is, a little bit more sense. That is really interesting. And I think of like Artemis all the time of how she actively hated men sexualizing mm. her like she, very very we talked about her turning the man into the deer and actually when i was telling my husband uh, about about this podcast he always remembers that one because <laughs> yeah. of all because it stands out as one of the only ones where a man is the victim yeah yes yeah. so and she, so like, stumbles across her sees her bathing and she turns him into a stag so his dogs then attack him it, yeah it's pretty horrendous there's paintings of that i'm sure um, <laughs> like can visualize these paintings of that myth it's horrific and, and artemis and athena are quite interesting though because they're both virgin goddesses yet artemis lives very apart from the rest of the world whereas athena is like in the middle of things and sort of part of like the main group and it's sort of like almost She's allowed to be a virgin, but still part of like the boys club, whereas Artemis is kind of like outside of all of that. 
which is kind of interesting. Don't know yeah. what it means. <laughs> no, no I, I think they're both so incredibly fascinating, especially since weaving is such a, a big thing for women in different stories. How, you know, you have, uh, women weaving it's like a sign of their intellect and their intelligence and their strategy and then athena you know is obviously a huge weaver yeah. um <laughs> everything she does is kind of horrible <laughs> <laughs> there, there must be some myths where she does nice things i'm sure there are <laughs> they all have their moments <laughs> i'm sorry for ruining anybody's image of athena in this podcast no i just keep thinking of cersei like yeah, yeah, you know, thinking about it, like, goddesses are just frightening creatures. Yeah. Like, I think that's the thing, the gods are just horrible. <laughs> yeah. Because um, she's really mean to Arachne as well, um, yeah. who, Arachne was really good at weaving, um, and she kind of made out like she was as good at weaving as Athena, Wait, oh, sorry, um, <laughs> which was obviously unacceptable to Athena, because you can't compare your skill to a goddess or a god. Um, so Athena like challenges her to a weaving contest and um, Arachne's tapestry she weaves depicts all the horrible things that the gods have done so Athena gets so angry that she turns her into a giant spider oh my goodness <laughs> okay <laughs> well I know it's just like I mean part of me is horrified and then I wonder like what creativity is behind yeah. like when you think about Ovid's metamorphosis and like the the turning people into different things and like origin stories for different types of birds and animals and creatures and whatever and it's almost like from this horrible thing we got this bird or this mm. flower or you know and different things like that like I remember the first time I learned that narcissist comes from the story of narcissus and i like blew my little mind way back in middle school or whatever yeah i love learning the origins of words yeah Yeah. it's so cool we're just just having the best nerd out here this is like like it's it's just past eight now for me in uh in london and it's like the best sunday evening ever (laughs) i always Um, do one tangent about pandora also mm-hmm. with Pandora, every time I see, like, we have, I don't know if you, you probably have them there too, the Pandora bracelet stores. Yeah. Every time I see that, I'm like, does that company day really mean what you think it means? <laughs> yeah, it's just another, like, it means like a primer of, like, why you should study classics and have, a, like, a section on modern names, like, and where they come from. Yeah, things you didn't know are actually ancient words, but used in everyday life. Yes. So we did want to ask you about translations because uh, I read very classic translations in college. And then this year, Emily Wilson published her translation of the Odyssey, which is the first published translation that a woman has done. And her authors and her translator's note is amazing. And it talks about like the changes that she made and different things. And I wanted to ask you what influence that you have seen in academia that the translation has on how we interpret uh, these classic works um, from Greek and Roman times? Yeah, I think Emily Wilson's translation is so important. Um, Also, like, definitely follow her on Twitter, because then you kind of, it will make you want to read it. (laughs) Even if you read the Odyssey before, what she says about it, it's amazing. Um, And so from, from my experience, Classics has always been a very male dominated field. And because of that, I like 
just generally I imagine from like the sort of masculine domination of academia in general over like the past couple of centuries is that the study of antiquity has so heavily focused also on the men which in a way makes sense because that's what we have surviving is stuff written by men but women existed like nobody's denying that so like they still have like not quite been done justice and overlooked um and there's definitely a bit more interest now um since sort of like feminist perspectives and scholarship and um, kind of starting in like the 1970s but still still nowhere near like as prevalent as it needs to be today in um sort of how important it is to kind of like break down these these pre-existing sort of interpretations of a lot of ancient evidence that has been informed by kind of modern day sexism which is so weird it's sort of like it's like such bad scholarship in a way because it's taking modern day so modern day misconceptions about men and women and sex and and just sexist attitudes and sort of applying them to antiquity without doing the proper research um, and that's not trying to excuse sexism in antiquity or say that they were this wonderful gender equal society. They weren't. I wouldn't have wanted to live there. But like you you can't go into things like that. And I think that's what Emily Wilson's done with this Odyssey. Is she's not turned this book into some like feminist retelling of the Odyssey where all the women are like celebrated and the main characters and more important than Odysseus and all the men are like disdained. However, she has pointed out some ways that the women in previous translations have been done massive injustices by bad translations mm -hmm. <laughs> by men who are basing their translations on like sexist misconceptions they have i hope that made sense okay the thing it definitely does one of the big things was she said a lot of times they would call the girl the girls like maids or something when actually they mm -hmm. were slave girls yeah and i think the atrocious murder of all of the slave girls at the end that um, Odysseus does this really has like a new meaning now because it makes what he's done so much worse because they did not have a choice exactly. in being probably sexually assaulted by all these men in Odysseus's house and then they're killed for it like yeah it's, it's, so if you and if you take it in that context then suddenly you understand it slightly differently because you think actually this is an example of Odysseus's anger escalating to an extreme level it, it's not really a rational reaction to what's happened um, and you, you think potentially there might have been ancient people reading this story thinking the same thing because if like they knew perfectly well that slaves didn't really have any choice when it came to like having sex with the men in the household so sort of like it's, it does make a difference to then how you understand antiquity um, and I actually like you were t talking to me about that recently and I thought it made me think again about Margaret Atwood's Penelope ad have either of you read that one no, I haven't okay. read that one. But it's on my list. Oh, it, it's my favourite. <laughs> and it's a retelling of the Odyssey, but from Penelope's perspective. But one of the things she does is between every chapter, she has these choral verses from the perspective of the slave women and sort of gives that like in the household who are um, having sex with the suitors in the household and gives sort of them a voice in the story, kind of like how how little choice that they had kind of their like pot role as pawns amidst all these like rich people's lives essentially and it's that again then made me think about the myth differently and it does, I don't think those things then make you a bad scholar they just make you consider all the sides of things these modern reinterpretations um, and one of the like one of the things that really gets me in 
Emily Wilson's translation, and it's such a good point she makes, is that quite often um, Helen is described as dog-faced, but so the, the the Greek word translates as dog faced and it's it's a it's not that common an adjective, but it's often used to describe the Furies who are these like revenge goddesses. However, in loads and loads of translations that have been released over the past, people have translated it as bitch, slut, like and it doesn't mean those things. It's just like people put that onto it and it is men that have done that, influenced by sort of like, oh, wait, that must be what it meant. Sort of, that's what they were describing Helen as, when actually there's no ancient evidence to support the idea that dog face meant slut. Yeah, it's it's like you need to address your own personal biases to have really great scholarship because you need to realize, okay, what are my own leanings that I have? And then approach scholarship, try to be as objective as you can and see all the different viewpoints and i just feel like men have been really lazy in yeah, looking at women exactly and um and i quite often meet with the reaction to sort of my studies that of course i'm studying women like men sort of <laughs> in my field of around my age will say to me oh, of course you're studying women gina just i always just want to shake them and go of course i'm studying women because nobody else bothered to for decades like, <laughs> right. like you like men only studied men for a long time like, right. i react to you and go of course you're studying men it's just crazy to me that that's still such an issue but <laughs> not to put anyone off academia. Yeah. No, we, we get we get that as well when they're like, oh, what kind of podcast do you have? And we're like, oh, it's called Reading Women. And they're like, oh, oh, that's, that's cute. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like Reading Women. Is this for men so that they can learn how to read women and get dates and stuff? Oh, no. So. I just like to hope that things are getting slightly better, but you never know. <laughs> it comes back to all that depressing stuff as well where like, female authors have had to change their names so that men supposedly will buy their books yes yeah yeah and you just think about like all of the women classics that we study now like a lot of them either published anonymously or they published under a male name and and it wasn't until like they died that they figured out that it was a woman that did it or (laughs) what was um evelina was it franny is that franny burning that right no no was it I believe so. Yeah, so Evelina, she was she wrote this book under a different name, and this guy that she really liked was it like Samuel Johnson or something was reading it out loud, and she was like so proud of herself that he loved her book and he was praising it, but he had no idea it was her. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> I also think, just in general, as a general rule, you are probably better to pick up a more modern translation. Like, you would be better to get, like, the most recent Penguin modern classic as opposed to the one that came out in 1903. Because uh, it's just generally usually a bit better. <laughs> that's a great point. Did you read the Iliad that was translated by Cal- Caroline Alexander, I think? No, I've still only ever read male translations of the Iliad to this no. day. Oh. But I do have Emily Wilson's translation of Seneca's tragedies, which I'm also excited to read. Mm. Oh, well, well, that's going on my to buy list. Yeah. And she writes, uh, she, sorry, Seneca, so he wrote about the Trojan women as one of the plays that she's translated. So I think it'll be really interesting to have had a woman translate that play since it's about women. That's just so cool. That makes me so happy. <laughs> it's all, it's all going to change and be better. 
Of course it is. Of course, yeah. one step at a time. As we'll come away with a hopeful message at the end. <laughs> yeah, progress. Progress has been made. Yes, exactly. Progress is well underway. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm sure we could go on forever, but we want to... We'll, we'll spare we'll spare everyone us starting out well thank you so much for joining me and for your fascinating questions it's always really interesting to find out what other people are interested in terms of antiquity and um, it sort of gives me the opportunity to kind of cover stuff that i might not think to cover otherwise so i very much appreciate that and i really liked chatting to both of you um with your like various different interests in antiquity and experiences i hope you have enjoyed being on the podcast as well. Yes, it's been <laughs> great to talk it's to you. It's been great. I love just getting together and nerding out about all things antiquity and translations and linguistics and just everything. Exactly. Well, uh, luckily for everyone listening just now, if you haven't already listened to part one over on the Reading Women, that is still there waiting for you. This was part two of a mega podcast <laughs> which you can listen to the first part of and that will be linked in the show notes so do check that out if you haven't already hopefully you have enjoyed this podcast episode thanks so much for listening <laughs>